We have some shadows, man. Is that like a metaphor? Like our past selves? Well, it definitely shows that we're not vampires. Mm. Is that right? I think that's how that works. I don't think vampires have shadows. Mm-mm. As if they're real, which they're not. Which I never understood that really because vampires can't go in the sunlight. Can't go in the sunlight. Right. So the really only shadow they should ever cast is from like a man-made light. Right. And then there's a reflection thing. Can't see their reflection. Can't see their reflection. There was a Far Side cartoon. Well, we can't get into that. It was pretty funny. But it was outside in the city, and I hadn't thought about that with that. Maybe it was at night. Mm. Street light. <clears throat> there was no... Sh- I think there's a street light in it, from what I remember. But my memory's not what? It, it it's not what? <laughs> no, today. I mean, I mean, I've been missing stuff all day long. His memory is not what? Like, it just, yeah. It's not like I can't remember. <laughs> What it used to be? Is that is that what it is? Is that the phrase? I can't remember. <laughs> goodness. Goodness, goodness. Alright. Alright. Well I guess it's time to start. A great light dawns in Galilee. Some say madman, some say king Wonder-working rebel priest Jesus Christ the Nazarene He knew well what it would take To free us all from sin and grave Perfect man would have to die And only he could pay that price Welcome to Wednesday Night's Bible Study. Glad that you're with us. I'm here with Grayson Snyder. My name is Philip Brand, and we are studying the book of Mark. So turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Um, I do want to let you know that this is the last of the second section Mm. In Mark, there was a first section. Now this is the second section. This is the last of it. Within the second section, though, we are in the miracle part of it. So we're going to cover the last miracle because there's three miracles in that section. And then there's a concluding kind of comment, comments to this particular uh, section that goes from chapter 6, verse 1, all the way through verse 6. But tonight, like I said just a few minutes ago, we're starting with uh, verse 21, which is the third miracle. Okay. okay. So, as a matter of review, the first miracle was Jesus calming a storm. Okay. Okay. The second miracle was he exercised a demon out of a man. In fact, many demons, like mm-hmm. a legion of demons. Right. If you want to know more about that, you can check out the previous two Bible studies on the book of Mark. And so now we are at um, the last miracle section, which actually encompasses two miracles. Hmm. Because this is a story that is put together as 
an intercalation. An intercalation. <clears throat> now, you've heard this term before, intercalation, because a few Bible studies ago, we talked about it. Do you remember what intercalation means? Was that when we were talking about the sandwich? It's when we were talking <laughs> about the sandwich. So this is a sandwich. It's a story within a story. Gotcha. Now, what we know about this is because it's historical, um, is that this actually happened this way. So there's, there's a sandwich that starts here and the history here, and then you end the story here. However... Mark didn't have to include the middle portion of this. Right. But somehow, these two miracle stories connect together to give us a fuller picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gotcha. So, intercalation is a sandwich, story within a story. If you want to know more about that, you can just find out where that is in the it's previous. It's on one of the previous It's on ones. one of the previous ones. I know which one it's on, but you can look for it. <laughs> okay? Yeah. little, you know... Why don't you go back and listen to them all again? That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so verse 21, let's jump right in. It says this, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. Now, this seems to be a, um, what do you call it? A, not a symbol in the text, a flag in the text, not a flag in the text, a, I can't remember the name of it right now. Help me out. I wish I could. A signal, it, this isn't the right word, a signal in the te- text that there's a new story occurring. Because the first miracle, he was going across the lake. The second miracle, he was going across, it's okay. a lake involved. And now the same thing has happened here. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Verse 22, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Hmm. A couple of things about this. First of all, a ruler of the synagogue, it is very odd at this juncture in the story for a ruler in the synagogue to come down and bow himself down to Jesus mm-hmm. because we've read many passages where the synagogue teachers were against Jesus. Yeah. We've also read passages where they want to kill him. Yeah. They want to figure out how to get rid of him. Yeah. But here is this Jairus guy. Jesus is coming to his synagogue. He's heard about Jesus and he falls at the feet of Jesus. So he forgets his position, mm-hmm. which synagogue rulers didn't bow down to anybody. Yeah. He, he sets that aside. He sets aside any type of dignity that he would normally walk around with in the community because he was a guy that was looked up upon. And he bows down before Jesus because he is in dire need. Mm-hmm. He loves his daughter. Yeah, His daughter is sick. And what we do know is he is worried or concerned that she might not live. Mm. She is so sick, it seems that she is at the point of death. Yeah. But she hadn't died yet. It's almost like he, he puts off <clears throat> his title of ruler of synagogue and steps up as father. As father. Yeah. And so he's going to put all political things aside mm-hmm. and deal with the issue. I just want to pause here a moment and say this is exactly how we should live life. Mm. Set aside all the politics, all us, us trying to be so cool and fit in yeah. and just deal with life. Life alone has enough trouble. Mm-hmm. 
without all this politics and pressure. Yeah. Like life alone has its own pressure. So he pushes it all aside and he's really concerned about his daughter. There's a special sense of urgency here. He knows that this needs to happen quick. I don't know what happened the night before. Mm. And he made it to the synagogue and he's already worried about her. But something, she has seen her get progressively worse. Mm-hmm. So for and implored him, earnestly saying, my little daughter <clears throat> is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well, made well and live. And Jesus went with him. Hmm. So Jesus responds to the synagogue leader, his humbleness, and decides to go. Decides to go. So that brings us to verse 24 that says, And he went with them, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. That particular word throng means to press on all sides. Mm, right. Have you ever been to Disney World? No, never. Well, if you've ever... If you've ever been to Disney World, there are times where you're shoulder to shoulder and you're bumping up against people and you're in line or you're trying to get somewhere or the gates are about to open and you're there at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is what I kind of think of when I'm thinking of this passage. Jesus is walking in the middle and people are just up against him, rubbing up against him. And there's a lot of bumping going on, yeah. a lot of, a lot of um, interaction that way. And verse 25 said, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So there's this woman. She has a discharge of blood. We are not going to get into the details of that, um, but you can imagine uh, it had worn her out, spent a lot of money. This is really kind of a derogatory statement against physicians Hmm. and what the physicians had done. Um, When it says who has suffered much under many physicians, that means there had been some type of surgical procedures or, or them trying to fix this in particular way. And it just didn't go well. Yeah. And it wasn't like our modern medicine. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they were cutting with. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what they were using. You don't even know if it was clean. Right. In that day, like what was their what was their style? We don't know, but what we do know is that the physicians were not successful in helping her out and made her condition worse. Yeah. So she is desperate. So Jarius has heard Jesus is coming. He falls down before Jesus and asks him to go mm-hmm. help his daughter. And now we have this woman that is very desperate. She heard Jesus is coming, and she's made it into this crowd and has wiggled her way. <laughs> bumping everybody, you know, pushing everybody shoulder to shoulder to get to where Jesus is. And in verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Hmm. Now, that particular word garment can also be translated tassels. Hmm. So the garment probably had some tassels and she touched it. And she believed that if she just touched his clothing, that there was a possibility that she would be healed. Hmm. See, verse 28 confirms that. Yeah. Uh, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. In verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Hmm. I have no idea what that feels like. Yeah. An instantaneous, whoosh, it's gone. Yeah. And it almost reads like 
It's gone and feels like it never has been there. Right. So whatever this was, was just draining on her body and it was just it was just bad and when it was gone it was completely completely gone and she knew it it had to be a great feeling yeah you know what i mean sure yeah so in jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said who touched my garments a lot of people concentrate on who touched my garments which is an appropriate focal point point of the story I still am not over the fact that Jesus felt power mm. go out of his body. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, when I feel power go out of my body, I'm very tired at that moment. Like, just, oh, you know. Yeah. And I don't touch people when power goes out of it. I mean, right. I'm doing stuff and, you know, I'm just drained of energy. Or if you think of a battery, like on your phone, it, it has a certain amount of mm-hmm. battery and it gets lower and it's, you know, releasing if a, if a phone could feel you know, would it feel the energy going out of its battery yeah. if the battery could feel? So Jesus felt the power gone. I, you, I never think in terms of that Jesus <clears throat> would feel power going out of himself because he is power. Right. Like he has all power. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was significant enough for him to actually feel it, that it had gone out from him, that something happened. So he says, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing all around you. Mm-hmm. Everybody's bumping you, Jesus. Yeah. Right? You see the crowd crossing around you, and you say, who touched me? Are you insane? (laughs) That is the scope of that question. Are you insane? Really? Somebody touched you? Come on. Everybody has touched you today is what has happened. And he looked around to see who had done it. So he ignores them. He ignores the disciples. Mm. And he looks around to see who has done it. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, verse 33, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Hmm. Told him the whole truth. So a couple of things. First, we do not know what this woman believed. Right. But she did believe if she touched him, there was a huge possibility she could be healed. Right. She may have had a magical sense about it like this is magic like what he's doing is kind of a a magical type of power that comes out of him and so if i just touch him that power would transfer mm-hmm. um it's interesting that she's the one that's healed and nobody else is bumping up against him mm-hmm. i'm sure that they were healthy people but nobody else yeah what was what if they had a heart condition about to have a heart attack yeah you know was that healed too yeah um probably not but this woman did and this passage not only stresses that she probably thought it was a magical thing and didn't completely understand who Jesus was, but it also shows that Jesus is supernatural, has the power to heal her, but might have limited knowledge. Hmm. That is a view of this passage. Right. I'm not so sure that that is the reason he asked, who touched me? I think he asked, who touched me? in order to teach the woman that it wasn't magical powers that had healed her, it was him. Hmm. So he asked. And so to take that next step of faith for her to come to him would be part of that lesson that it's not magical, it was me. Yeah. Okay? Um, so she, she comes to him, and she is afraid. Now, 
Now, why do you think she would be afraid? I mean, I would be afraid, too, if somebody had that kind of power. And you felt it? Yeah, and then they turn around and say, all right, who did it? Right. She, this is a common a common belief about her. She, she probably just wanted to touch his garment and leave. Hmm. Didn't want any recognition, just kind of just spade into the crowd. And when he said, who touched me? She went, oh, no. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the power coming out, there's... There's another, there's a couple other reasons besides just that one. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a flow of blood, which means that she was unclean, which okay. means she wasn't supposed to be bustling around a bunch of people mm-hmm. and touching them, much less Jesus. Yeah. So everybody she touched in the cl- crowd was unclean mm-hmm. because she was unclean. Does mm-hmm. this make sense? Yeah. And so now Jesus said, who touched me? And now she's going to have to admit I did. I had a flow of blood. Everybody that I touched is now unclean. You're going to have to wait 24 hours before you can enter the temple. Yeah. I mean, even if she didn't say all of that, the odds of her having this condition and going to all of these different physicians, somebody probably knows about her condition. Yeah. Yeah. And they might call her out on it. Well, they didn't know enough to separate themselves from her. These are good Jews, and they would have, oh, Uh, unclean person. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, I, I had thought about that, but nobody knew who she was. Mm. But now she's going to have to go and admit that she has made everybody unclean. And, and then, um, I had another one too. It just left my mind. Uh, oh, she didn't go about this in the right way. Mm. Like up until this point, we have people either... Demons falling before him, and then he cast out the demons, or people asking. She didn't do it the appropriate way. She did not approach the teacher and say, will you heal me? She just reached out to touch him and assumed she was going to get Mm -hmm. healed. So now she is forced to do this the right way. She's forced to come before him and tell him all about it and tell him why she touched him and and it's, it's going to be a moment. So she's a little bit nervous. Yeah. For all those reasons. Yeah. Power included. Yours included. Mm-hmm. How do you think you would have felt? I mean, I, I would have felt scared and embarrassed, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Embarrassed mainly because of what you did to all of those people. Right. And you're now having to, in the middle of all of them, admit what you did. Right. And then scared and that somebody with that much power just turning around and saying, who done it? Like... You barely touched them and they felt it leave. Yeah. that That's a little scary. It is a little scary. To be in the, in the face of. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that we can take away from here is that Jesus wasn't concerned about her being unclean. Mm-hmm. He did not get on to her for that. Right. Um, at all. And so it, it shows us that Jesus isn't concerned with the outside uncleanness of somebody. He's more concerned with their heart mm-hmm. and what their heart actually believes and if their heart is clean, which is a theme of Jesus all the way through Scripture. He's always targeting the heart rather than the outside. What is on your heart? Is your heart clean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so verse 34, what is he going to say once she has explained herself? Uh, to him, the whole truth. Well, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Hmm. Your faith has made you well. The faith of just touching him has made her well. 
um, it wasn't the garment that she touched that made her well. It wasn't being close to Jesus that made her well, because like I said, a lot of other people were touching him too. Yeah. It was her faith that he could heal her, that, that healed her. And Jesus works within the realm of people's faith and how they display it and how they activate it in their lives. Right. That's when he steps in. Uh, Jesus helped a lot of women in his time here. I got to thinking about that and how much interaction he had with women and, and how he healed them or he forgave them of their sins or he did that, which kind of took them to a different level mm-hmm. in, in that environment. And and he he treated them as if they were created as a man's helpmate, mm-hmm. as an equal, equal person of dominion over creation, mm-hmm. um, in that particular regard, I think I think that's interesting. Two, I also think it's interesting just to throw out some interesting things without like a a theme all the way through. Um, the disciples look really bad here. Yeah, because they're treating Jesus like he's stupid, but yet they're the ones that are stupid. Yeah. he's treating Jesus as if he's crazy and Jesus kind of ignores that. And here's this woman that's brought up where she has faith and she's not crazy. Mm -hmm. And, and she looks really good in this life. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I mean, that, that is a, um, that is an interesting point that the disciples, it, it almost seems like throughout this so far, the disciples are constantly forgetting who Jesus is, right? What he's doing, yeah. And I don't know, you know, just he's the same one that was asleep on the boat and said, "Yeah, they just saw him." Yeah, <clears throat> calm the calm the sea. Yeah, he's the same one that went up to the demon possessed man and cast out the demons into the pigs. I don't know, disciples, maybe have a little memory here and know who you're talking to. Right. Yeah. Right. I think. This is a lesson that sometimes we get so familiar with Jesus and the Bible that it weakens our faith Mm. in some instances. Now, I'm not saying for you to quit reading the Bible and studying the Bible, quit praying or trying to get close to him. What I am saying is as you do that, you need to constantly remind yourself, God is real. Jesus is real. This is just not a story. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that talks to my soul. This is something that brings me life and constantly pursue that life and remember who God is in any situation mm-hmm. that you're in. Yeah. And when you're kind of knocked off course, maybe wait a few moments before you speak. Yeah. You moron. Everybody's touched you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Be very careful with all that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's continue on. Um, He does this, and in verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Mm. So the daughter's passed on. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Mm. You're going to have to watch this... um, sermon from last Sunday. It's uh, the first one in our recalculation series. It's called Back to the Future. Um, I, th- I think sometimes we forget what we can do 
than what God can do. Yeah. Sometimes we forget that. In this particular case, they had a belief that Jesus could heal Jairus' daughter mm-hmm. of the sickness so that she will live. Like he had the power to do that. They did not believe that Jesus could rise her from, raise her from the dead. Yeah. For some reason, that just didn't cross over. Yeah. Like it's done. It's done. God can't do anything about this. Jesus can't do anything about this. It's set in history. She has passed away. This is over. We are finished. We are giving up. We are done. Yeah. And so at the point where we are done is really where God begins to work. Mm. Right? And yeah. we, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday. Yeah. All of us do this. It might not be death, but sometimes we're following God and we hit a wall and we can't make it through the wall. And we're like, okay, I'm throwing up my hands. We're done. Yeah. The door's closed. We can't get through. Mm-hmm. We're finished. There's no way that this can happen. And once we talk, start talking in terms that there is no way that this is going to happen, there's no way that this can be accomplished, there's no way, there's no way, is the moment <clears throat> that we really discredit the power that God really has. Yeah. So Jesus responds to us even during those smaller times where we're like, we're done. We're finished. And he says, uh, don't fear, only believe. Yeah. In other words, I'm with you and there's things that I can do that you can't do and I am for you, so stick with me. Mm-hmm. That's a huge lesson, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. And we do this with little things. Like, could you think of an example of something where you get to the point where I'm, I'm just done, we're, we're just, it's just over? I mean... <laughs> parents with their kids you know sure your your kids just keep disobeying and just i i can't anymore yeah i can't do this anymore yeah i i hear people doing this with jobs yeah like okay we're done we're done with this i can't i can't do this anymore i'm i'm up against a brick wall and god isn't listening to me and um it's just downhill and we talk negatively 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 and we built this whole negative world around our job and mm-hmm. and we just kind of give up but Jesus is saying quit fearing quit complaining yeah quit doing this and just believe i'm with you and i will work this out just be patient mm-hmm. okay so it, there's a lesson there and probably a whole message in there about all that i didn't have the time to develop that but but i thought that was important okay So verse 37, and he allowed um, no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. By the way, this is one of three times in Mark that Jesus says, Peter, James, and John, you're with me. No. Why did he do it this time? Because the other nine apostles needed to hold the crowd back. Mm. So we often think that he just picked them and and just left the nine to do nothing. But no, the nine had to say, no, stop, 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 stop. They were Jesus' handlers. Yeah. So the three went with Jesus, and they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now, there is a there is a belief here that they had hired people to come in and help the family mourn hmm. at this point. That is a cultural thing that they they did. Mm. However, it hasn't been enough time yeah. for them, them to get the people there. Mm-hmm. So this is probably family members and friends yeah. that are crying because this daughter has died. Neighbors, friends, 
community. So they have it. I don't. I don't think it's hired mourners. Yeah. Lazarus had hired more mm. mourners. We know that for sure. But but here I just think it's people. Man, she's dead. I can't believe it, and we can't believe that she has died. That she's gone. She's a twelve-year-old kid. Yeah. And how tragic is that? So very sad situation. Verse thirty-nine. And when he entered, he said to them. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is dead, is not dead, but sleeping. Hmm. Now that particular phrase, sleeping there, in Scripture, every time you see that in reference to people that are dead, it's always within the terminology of a resurrection. Hmm. Um, People that are said to be dead and gone usually are people that are not going to have a resurrection, that are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, it's that track. But people people that talk in terms of like, he's sleeping, he's not dead, he's just sleeping, is talking in terms of the resurrection. Uh, a couple of verses about that I wrote down. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10 talks about that. Um, John chapter 11, verses 4 through 14. You can look these up later. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, and Psalm chapter 87, verse 6, all talk about the sleeping in terms of a resurrection. Yeah. So Jesus is using resurrection language here. <clears throat> yeah. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, I've kind of already spoiled the story for you that he's going to resurrect her. Right. These people laughed, and that is the reason God kicked, Jesus kicked them out of the house. Hmm. What if they hadn't have laughed? Mm-hmm. If they hadn't have laughed, they could have seen a miracle. Yeah, they could have seen someone with their own eyes being raised from the dead. Yeah, I think this is a lesson. Be careful what you laugh at. Yeah, you might miss out on the miracle that's about to happen. Yeah, yeah. So be careful what you laugh at. Verse 41, 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, now who else has he in the book of Mark taken by the hand? Do you remember? You might not, and it's okay if you don't. Do you remember? Podcast listeners, uh, YouTube listeners, do you remember in the book of Mark who he took by the hand earlier in Calpurnium? I do not. It was somebody's mother-in-law. Peter's. Peter's mother-in-law. He took her by the hand. So it kind of wraps it up here with he's taking her by the hand. He said, uh, Talitha Kumai, which by the way, those two words are only recorded in the book of Mark when it comes to this story. Mm. In fact, there are several differences, things that are recorded here that aren't recorded in Matthew and Luke, actually. Um, And he says, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. So he took her by the hand. Um, Then he says, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. There might be a reason beyond tell nobody that is beyond um, he not Jesus not wanting anyone to know that he did it, mm-hmm. but it could be so that the little girl could go back to a normal life. Yeah. The problem with that view is that there were a lot of people in the house already that were mourning and weeping, so yeah. they're going to know and they're going to tell people. Yeah. Right, but he's telling them not not to tell. Uh, 
wow, what can, what can we go go with right now? It's interesting that she's hungry. Yeah. Death must really wear you out. <laughs> you die and you must come back. suck it out of you. You know. I mean, that's the reason we we have uh, the feast in the resurrection. Sure, Wait, you resurrected and immediately go to a dinner. Yeah, because you, you're hungry. It, it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of you <laughs> to be risen from the dead. Um, this also shows that Jesus has power over the last enemy, hmm. which is death. Yeah. Because our last enemy, according to Scripture, is death, and he has power over that. So Mark has done a real good job showing us how he has power over demonic forces, power over sickness, power over people. He has power to rule and reign, and he also has power over death Mm -hmm. as as well. Um, Here's a couple of... uh, Another thing that's unique to the story, uh, the messengers that said, don't bother... The teacher, because she's already dead, mm-hmm. is unique to the Mark story. It's not mentioned in Luke and Matthew. Hmm. And um, that, there's some other stuff, too, as well okay. that's unique. And I'm sure you're wanting to know what that is, but I'm not going to tell you. It's, it's got to be a cliffhanger. <clears throat> it is a cliffhanger, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's a cliffhanger. So before we move on to chapter 6, let me say a couple of things. This particular miracle shows that socially, Jesus came for the rich and the prominent and the outcast. Mm-hmm. That is the reason it's an intercalation. It's a sandwich. Yeah. That's the theme. Yeah. So here's a ruler of a synagogue that is highly regarded and a woman just because of her issue of blood, which is an outcast in society. Mm-hmm. Jesus came to help both of those individuals, both of those classes of yeah. people. So he came he came for everybody. Um, and that means that the gospel is meant for everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's move to chapter 6. All right. All right. He went away from there and came to his hometown. By the way... Hometown is actually the word here for fatherland hmm. rather than hometown. There's another Greek word for hometown. Yeah. But this is fatherland. So Mark is saying this is where he grew up. So we know that this is Nazareth. Oh. He's making a distinction between Nazareth and Jesus' home in Capernaum. Mm. Two totally different places. Right. Okay. And that's, that's important for the story. Yeah. And his disciples followed him. Of course they did. Why wouldn't you follow him? Hmm. Right. Um, this story also starts with Jesus going away from a place and going to another place, just like all the other ones have. Yeah. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, the synagogue in Nazareth. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Hmm. So... The first thing is they don't dispute his wisdom. Yeah. They're astonished by his wisdom. Absolutely astonished by it. Um, they're astonished by his works that he has done. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very astonished by that. They are just dumbfounded that this comes from the homeboy, Jesus. <laughs> like we knew him when he was little. And a little bit later, it's going to say we know his family. Verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And the brother of James and Joseph and Joseph and Judas and Simeon, 
And are not his sisters here with us? Hmm. So I'm not sure if the brothers are there in the synagogue, but the sisters have showed up. Yeah. Jesus' sisters are like, hey, brother brother Jesus, he's going to be <laughs> teaching in the synagogue. Let's go, let's go see, you know. And, and they put on their little hoods and, and went on out, out to see him. So they're sitting there smiling, maybe. Maybe they're scoffing. I don't know. It, it's just, you know, it's that picture. Yeah. So we know his family, and we're just absolutely uh, astonished that he's able to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, back in those days... If you came from a particular geographical area, right, your environment determined in people's minds who and what your capabilities would be. Mm. So you grew up in Nazareth, so you can't be but so much. Yeah. Like you can only rise to a certain level. Yeah. If you came from another area, you could rise to a higher level. But your environment is what determined who you could be and... And how big you could be and what people thought of you. Yeah, so they're basically saying he was he was raised in Nazareth. He's not a Jerusalem boy. Right. He's he's just this little Nazarene. He's not supposed to teach like this. Right. Okay. And so it, in essence they are saying not wow. It's amazing that he has outgrew this area. And that he's doing all this, and it, we are very proud of this. Yeah. What they're accusing Jesus of is overreaching, overstepping the boundaries I gotcha. of his environment that he grew up in. I gotcha. You know, this is kind of the same today. Hmm. There's certain areas, and if we're honest, there's certain areas that we're like, nobody good can come from. Right. There. Yeah. Right. Nobody, good people come from there. Yeah, right? that's that's where the smart people come from, but good yeah. people only come from there. And so, I think we even sometimes have the attitude like, can, of course, I have to be careful of saying right, but let me just give it. I don't know. I don't want to say it. Um, let's. I, I need to make. I'll say Colfax because I'm from Colfax. Nothing good can come from Colfax. Mm-hmm. Like they're just blue collar workers, and and they farm and and. They can't really run tech. Yeah. Right? They're not tech people. So to say that you want to be a tech person would be to overreach, Yeah, you know, the type of person that you're supposed to be because you come from Colfax. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But if you come from Bermuda Run... Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. Uh, Insurance, tech. Yeah. You know, whatever you want. Banking. Whatever you want. You can can do it. We expect more from that area, Bermuda Run, than we did from Colfax. Yeah. If you know what I'm saying. So they're doing the same sort of thing. And we need to be careful doing that. Mm. Because God can use anybody in a great way from any location. Right. And people, people that are from the locations that we think is great, they're not really that great. Right. They're just doing something different. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think we we allow money to dictate the worth of a person. Like this is a rich area, this is not a rich area. This mm-hmm. is a this is a prominent a predominantly um sophisticated area and this isn't one. This is farmland. And we equate who's smart to this one mm-hmm. and these people are dumb. Yeah. And there are farmers that I know that are just as intelligent as the person that's, C, that's the CEO at the bank. Yeah. Just in a different way. Yeah. 
and the know-how of how to fix things and how to do things and how to farm in the season yep. takes a lot of intelligence. So be careful, be careful putting a stigmatism yeah. on someone because of where they're from. Yeah. What do you think about that? I, I mean, growing up in Cleveland, you know, nowhere, nowhere, Cleveland. nowhereville. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, they're just the farm boy. They, they don't right. care about school. They're not, they're not that smart. You don't want to trust them on right. their math homework. Right. Um, but no, they, I would trust them to put up anything around my house. Sure. I would trust them to do any of my electrical work pretty much. Sure. They, they have their own area of expertise and that you're right. That gets lost. It does get lost. Because you just assume that where they're from, they can't. And if you watch our country in comedy, a comedy makes fun of Southerners mm, yeah. and makes them look stupid. But yeah. Southerners aren't stupid. No, they're they're not stupid. No. They they are they're very intelligent. They're just different than you are. And just because they are slower in how they talk and have a different accent, doesn't mean that they're not intelligent. Yeah, or know know what's going on. Maybe better than you do. Yeah, the ones that are. Making fun of them. I mean, the ones that were at my school, the ones, the same ones that I said I wouldn't trust their math homework, their architecture works probably a whole lot better than mine. Yeah. It's a lot of practical things yeah. that go in there. So, um, Jesus isn't seen as exceeding expectations. He's seen as overreaching expectations. Mm. So, dial it back, Jesus. You Don't forget where you're from. Let's dial it back. To that I say, never let your environment and where you grew up be a lid for you and what you can do for God. Yeah. Blow the lid off of the place. Yeah. And go for it because he wants you to be greater than the environment you lived in. Another thing, your environment should never be allowed to dictate how far you can go in life or where you can live in life or what you can do in life. Mm-hmm. Forget this type of influence of the environment is keeping you down. Work through that mm-hmm. and let it be a stepping stone into something greater. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's an important point. Um, only here and in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, his brothers are mentioned by name. I know we hear James a little bit later, but yeah. some of these names we don't, we don't hear later. Uh, they took offense, which means to cause to stumble mm-hmm. at his words. We continue to read, and Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household because they look at him like little Jesus, little boy Jesus. I mean, I'm going to have to be careful here, but I get that when I go back home and preach at my home church. Um, It's just totally, they're they're just shocked, you know, that that I preach the way I do. Yeah. Not because it's good, but because, oh, that was little Philip. We can't believe that he's actually... You know, saying something substantial. Yep. And I get it. I get it, little Jesus. Little little Philip. <laughs> You're looking at little Jesus, okay? Um, so it's hard for a prophet to have honor his hometown and with his family. And then verse 6, uh, verse 5 and 6 says this, And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and went about among the villages teaching. Hmm. So their lack of faith limits his ability 
to do miracles in their area. Yeah. Now, I I have really shot away from this particular point about Jesus and point about God. But it's mentioned so many times in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And we need to realize that sometimes the reason God isn't moving in our life is because of our lack of faith. Yeah. So maybe the thing that we should pray is, Jesus, help my unbelief. Yeah. Help me have more faith because I really want to see you work in this situation. Yeah. I really want to see you do something great here. Yeah. So work hard, ladies and gentlemen, to make sure that your faith isn't the limiting ability that is preventing God from really doing magnificent works. Absolutely. In your environment. Yeah. I've had to say that before. And then after you say it, your eyes are like opened. Yeah. It's it's awesome to see. Yeah, it really is. So any, I'm just shocked that you didn't you didn't go through and mention uh, Mark's favorite word that he uses so much in this. What is that? Immediately. Immediately. Yeah, he uses it. Uh, yes. A lot. Forty two and uh, he mentions it twice in forty two alone. Yes, immediately, and that's a that's a throwback to some of the previous Bible studies. Yeah. And I'm glad that you you brought that out. Yeah, he uses immediately a lot. Like yeah. it's like okay, immediately. <laughs> Mark, do you have a thesaurus? Like, could we use some other type of word? But he's trying to. He's trying to get that concept that this really happened fast. Yeah. Like the three years were gone just like that. Yeah. Immediately, 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 immediately. And there's a momentum that happens with all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I probably should have. And maybe tomorrow night when I when I teach this live, I'll I'll make more of a uh conservative conservative? Conservative. Conservative effort. Not conservative. Well that's that's the same. I'll make more of an effort. <laughs> To, to get that kind of feeling, like emphatic a rushing, effort. emphatic effort to make that happen. All right. Awesome. Good catch, man. Hey, I, I live to look for immediately. Yeah, you do. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Grace and peace. See you next week.